The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Women in MarTech Week at the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're talking to five successful lady marketers to understand how they've navigated their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent female marketers in the MarTech community. Joining us today is Paige O'Neill, who is the CMO of Sitecore, which is a global leader in experience management software that combines content management, commerce, and customer insights. Sitecore's Experience Cloud empowers marketers to deliver personalized content in real time and at scale across every channel before, during, and after a sale. And prior to her current role, Paige held CMO and VP titles at seven different companies over a 10-year span. So she is absolutely an influencer and an executive in the MarTech space. Okay, here's our interview with Paige O'Neill, CMO of Sitecore. Paige, welcome to Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to have you here. I'm excited to hear about your career and your story. Sounds like you've had lots of different experiences. And let's just start off by going in the Wayback Machine and talking about how you got started in marketing. How'd you, how'd you get into this industry? I was a PhD student at NYU, and I thought I was going to become a college professor. And I went to interview for a part-time job at a PR agency and I became so excited by what I heard. I wasn't even sure what high-tech PR was, but I somehow came out of there with not a part-time job, but a full-time job. And so I pulled back from the PhD program, leapt into high-tech PR, working on the IBM internet division, and never looked back. So the interview went well. <laughs> it did. <laughs> okay, good to hear. So you started off your career in public relations. You're working in communications. What were you trying to get your PhD in? I was working on a PhD in media ecology, which is the study of how technology impacts culture, which obviously was super relevant to everything that came after that. But it was a very interesting time in tech because it was right around the time that those of you who are old enough might remember, there was a Wired magazine article about a college student named Mark Andreessen who was working on a browser that navigated the internet by pictures instead of by text. So I'm so old that I used to actually navigate the internet by clicking on text links versus just hyperlinks like we do today. 
So it really changed everything. And it was just an exciting time to start going into companies who were looking to monetize all of the benefits that were going to come by being able to transact business on the internet. It was the beginning of all of that. So Mark Andreessen, famous for Netscape and the iconification of the browsing experience was obviously a transitional time. So really your marketing career got started in parallel to the beginning of the internet age. Um, Talk to me a little bit about some of the experiences you had earlier in your career. You started off in communications. What was some of the work you were doing and how did that set you up for success as an executive marketer? I think it was partially so many exciting things were happening in technology. It was just moving so quickly and it was also being at the right place at the right time. I stepped into this public relations firm working on IBM's brand new internet division. And the thing that we were talking to the media about at the time was this crazy notion that consumers were soon going to be paying for transactions with their credit cards over the internet. And no one believed it. Everyone thought, oh, no one will ever enter their credit card information over the internet. So part of my first job was to really convince reporters that this was actually going to be a viable business model. It's interesting that first it was no one's going to give their credit card. And then it became, well, no one's going to buy clothes over the internet. (laughs) All of these, like, well, no one's ever going to do that. Nobody's going to find a car that they can just get in from a stranger. I guess we've passed a lot of those hurdles. Yeah, I mean, there have been many of them. I remember the one that happened probably about 10 years ago when we were talking about the fact that at some point we'd be walking by a store and our device would send us a notification for a coupon or a sale. And it took that one a long time to come to fruition, but that's actually happening at least to me now on a regular basis. So I think at every step, there's always some thing that you have to get over in the minds of consumers that, oh, it's just a bridge too far, but it turns out it's just the pace of technology. So technology has obviously developed a tremendous amount since the beginning of the internet era when your career started in this industry. Let's go back and talk more about some of the experiences you had and some of the roles you took on early in your career. What were some of the impactful jobs that you took on and some of the responsibilities you held? So initially, I was working for the public relations firm that was the agency of record for IBM businesses were just starting to figure out, hey, wow, this internet thing is going to be a big deal for my business. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to come on board? So in addition to trying to convince reporters that people were going to pay for things over the internet, we were also, I remember there was a big trade show called Internet World that it doesn't happen anymore. But for many years, it was a really big industry trade show. And the first year that I was there, we were helping people set up what we called home pages on the show floor. So they would set up what today would basically be a dot-com page. And this was a really big deal. So that was the first couple of years. And then pretty quickly after that, I was living in New York at the time. And I realized that if I were serious about tech, I had to get out to the Bay Area. And so I moved out to Silicon Valley and took a job working for Oracle in their public relations team. Oracle is a special place in my heart. Originally, I'm from the Bay Area, close to where Oracle's headquarters are. And they took what was Marine World down. And that's where they built Oracle's headquarters. And my dad, who's an orthopedic surgeon, said, the company that replaces where Marine World was has to be doing well. And he bought stock very early on and helped him and helped send me to college. So always been a fan of Oracle as an organization. You were there for a relatively long period of time. So talk to me about some of the roles that you have. It seems like working at a large company like that really set your career forward. 
It did. I think that I was at the right place at the right time to get a very fortunate job in PR early on. But then once I got the job at Oracle, I still use things today that I learned at Oracle. I was there for almost 10 years. I had, I think, four or five completely different jobs while I was there, which is one of the reasons that I stayed so long. And it was a time when the company was growing very quickly, but it was still a manageable-sized company. So you still knew the majority of the people at the company, but yet it was a big global company. There were exciting things happening, new technology areas. So many people were doing exciting things. So I started on the PR side there and was managing the PR for the database. And then I was very fortunate to be able to make the move over to product marketing, which I think is relatively difficult to do. I don't think a lot of people make the move from public relations over to product marketing. But I was very fortunate that I had very strong support. At the time, there were a few executives who were at Oracle that were in CMO type roles. Oracle didn't have a CMO specifically then, but they had VPs and SVPs of marketing and product marketing. And those executives were very supportive and letting me try new things and be able to develop that muscle on the job. So that was really exciting. So talk to me a little bit more about that transition. It seems like the skill set and background that most people would rely on to manage public relations is very different. I'm thinking one is dealing with media and constituents and storytelling. And product marketing is more of an internal focus role, understanding who your customers are and communicating that to the internal teams like your engineering resources. How did you make that transition? And was it as simple as I'm making it sound? It certainly wasn't easy, but I think there are a number of overlapping skill sets between public relations and product marketing. And I think messaging is really at the heart of both of them. And I was finding that as a public relations professional, I really enjoyed the telling of the story and the shaping of the message. But I wasn't the one who was responsible for coming up with the message. And I really wanted to be hands-on with shaping that message, really getting in and understanding more about, at that time, the features and functions of the product, understanding how the sales team was really involved in going to market and how important it was to get the sales team excited about the product and really be at that centerpiece, which is where I think product marketing is. I think of product marketing really as the hub of the marketing department because the content, a lot of it is originating with them. And at the time, and I think this is a theme across every aspect of my career, I was very vocal about wanting to make this change. And I talked to a number of executives that I had close relationships with, expressed a desire to do this, spent some time really understanding how I needed to develop to be able to make that a reality. And I wasn't shy about asking to take it on. And it was a time at Oracle, it was around 1999, which we didn't know it, but the big market.com bust was coming in 2000. But in 1999, everything just seemed like it was going up and to the right forever. So Oracle had a number of quote unquote startups that they were incubating inside the company with the full intention of spinning them out to be fully functioning .coms. And I was able to go into one of them, a company we called Oracle Mobile that was developing some of the first wireless applications, which back in 2000, it was very early to be developing mobile applications. And I was able to partner with an executive who gave me a chance, just gave me a shot to come in and run not only product marketing, but really marketing for that entire little incubated startup. Let's talk a little bit more about your career development while you were at Oracle. The interesting thing to me is that 
You not only change job functions going from public relations to product marketing, but you also were promoted multiple times. You went from being a senior manager to a director and then a senior director within five years. So two promotions in five years, which a company of that scale feels like it's fast growth. Talk to me about how your experience at Oracle set you up to be ready to be an executive. Yeah, and it really did. I think back every day on things that I learned at Oracle and still bring those things forward into almost every conversation I'm having. I'm drawing back on some Oracle experience. There was so much growth happening at the company, at the industry. Oracle was expanding rapidly. We were moving into new market areas. So I think that was part of it. But I also think that for whatever reason, I was able to do a really good job understanding what was the exciting part of the business and how could I attach myself to that part of the business. And by doing that, I was gravitating to and always have gravitated to emerging tech. It's just something that I have a love for. But by doing that within the organization, I always found myself on executive projects that had high visibility. And as those areas did well, and as I performed well in that job, it just continued to unlock additional opportunities. And I think that contributed to the rapid career path and the growth that I was able to achieve. So it seems like there's a few factors that were contributing here. One, you were in the right place at the right time, right? The internet is booming. Oracle is being very successful. It is pre.com crash. But the other side, you were very strategic in terms of trying to network and navigate your way onto high-profile projects that gave you the best opportunity to be seen as a success. So eventually you move on from Oracle and you get into what is really your role as a marketing executive. Talk to me about your post-Oracle career when you're going from being the middle manager director level into being a VP and a CMO. What were some of the experiences that have helped shape you as an executive? The first role that I had as a head of marketing role, I transitioned after being at Oracle for almost 10 years. I took a job for a public company called PHH and moved from the Bay Area to Baltimore, Maryland. So it was my first head of marketing job. It was for a company that was relatively high profile. And it was also for a company where PHH had been around in that current incarnation. The company has since gone through several acquisitions and has been sold a couple of times. But at that time, it was a company that had been founded in, I think, the 1930s. And employees that went to work for PHH worked there for a long time. So the average tenured employee had worked there for close to 30 years. So here I was, I came in, I was 35 years old. I was a first time head of marketing and it was the first time I was on a management team. And I was the youngest member of that management team by probably 20 years. And I was also single and didn't have any children versus the other people on the management team all were probably had college age kids and had been married for 20, 30 years. So it was a culture shock to say the least. And I think in some ways I navigated it well and in other ways I probably didn't. (laughs) 
So talk to me about some of the relationships that you developed in that organization. It sounds like, for lack of a better term, you were hanging out with the gray hairs, <laughs> not to be dismissive of people that have been in their roles for a long time, but yeah. the juxtaposition of you being 35 and single and sitting next to the other executives on the team that are older and more experienced, what did you bring to the table? What did you learn? I think the CEO, who is one of the greatest CEOs that I've ever worked for, I just loved working for, uh, his name was George Kilroy. He was just an, an amazing person. George, sorry for calling you a gray hair. <laughs> Go on. I think he hired me into the company because he wanted to shake things up and he wanted somebody who could come in and be a change agent. PHH was at the time a fleet management provider. So if you think about a company like Comcast, they've got 30,000 Comcast delivery trucks and they don't really own any of those trucks. They lease them out from a company like PHH who actually owns the vehicles, provides the lease, negotiates the price, provides the auto maintenance, provides the fuel cards for the drivers. They have a whole maintenance network of shops and insurance and things of that nature. And they also had a number of technology products that they were developing to help make the fleets operate more efficiently. But they were in a very much a commodity type of market where essentially the sales team would go in and there was no talk of technology or differentiators or messaging. It was just who could negotiate the lowest price. And they needed to get out of that dynamic and be able to go in with a compelling marketing message about all of the technology that they were developing. And I think they wanted to bring in someone from Silicon Valley who could come in and start to market the company as a tech company. So they wanted someone to come in and be a change agent and shake things up, which I was certainly able to do, but I was completely unprepared for the dynamics that ensued between just the vast differences between myself and the rest of the people on the management team. That was just something I'd never thought about because it was my first executive role. So you're going through a learning experience in terms of understanding how to work with an executive team as a marketer. And you know, you've jumped from executive role to other executive roles at a pretty consistent pace, somewhere between one to three years. Just quickly walk us through some of the other roles that you've had and the reason for moving from role to role. I do think the change agent role is one that's very comfortable for me. So I tend to gravitate to either a company that needs to drive a significant type of cultural change, whether that's because they are, as in PHH's case, they felt like they were in a commodity market and they needed to really change up what they were doing, or whether that's because they're growing very quickly and the dynamics that got them to a certain growth stage aren't necessarily going to be the same ones that are going to propel them forward. So I think in a couple of cases, it was an acquisition that led to me changing up what I was doing, which was obviously a great story. And there were probably one or two cases where it was an early stage startup and it just didn't pan out the way that I thought it would. But in the cases of the acquisition, I think often what happens once a company goes through an acquisition is the dynamics change pretty dramatically. So often that tends to be a good time to think about, am I making the greatest impact here or would I be better served going and doing that somewhere else at a company that hasn't necessarily achieved that, that stage yet? So you've worked for a wide variety of companies and they're also in different stages and different industries. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. 
Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk me through some of the things that you liked the best. Uh, you know, do you feel like you've found the right fit in terms of early stage, publicly traded, large companies, small companies? As you've gone through these series of one to three year roles as a marketing executive, what did you learn from those experiences? I'd really like to mix it up. And I think that no matter what stage a company is at, there are different dynamics that come into play in terms of how they should be marketing themselves, what kind of leadership is needed, what kind of team is needed to be built, what are the marketing functions that should be focused on at that stage. So I do like to consider all the different variables that go into companies depending on what stage they're at. So now as I look back and I've got a purview across everything from the very earliest stage where I worked at a company where we didn't even know if we had the right product fit and we were testing the product to see if we even had anything to bring to market all the way through to the very largest companies like Oracle, but even companies like SDL who were very mature companies, public and leaders in their space. And now Sitecore, which is growing very rapidly, is a leader in its space, been around for many years, but is going through tremendous growth and cultural change ourselves as we go to that next level of maturity. And so I think that the learnings have been understanding which marketing levers to pull at the various stages of company growth. And also, I think I've come a really long way, hopefully, from those early days when I was sitting on the management team at PHH, my first CMO job, thinking, wow, how do I navigate these dynamics? To now I sit on management teams and it's very difficult to surprise me with a circumstance going on at a company. I've seen so many things over the course of these different roles that I feel like I can really bring a lot of experience to the table, no matter what the situation is that a company's facing. So talk to me about how you deal with some of the ups and downs, whether it's the challenges of working with a startup or some of the organizational difficulties when you're working for a larger company. You've had lots of transitions over the last decade, and I don't mean to harp on this, but I think for most people, that is emotionally taxing. And it seems like you're to the point now where you're like, been there, seen it, done it, it doesn't affect me. 
I'm imagining most people don't have that wealth of experience and aren't able to necessarily take it in stride. How do you deal with those transitions while they're happening? And then how do you digest them after the fact? That's a great question because I do think that I've seen a lot. And as I just said, it's difficult to surprise me at this point. Earlier in my career, when I would encounter something like maybe there was a problem with a product or maybe the company had a significant miss in the quarter or any number of variables, I wouldn't necessarily have the experience to draw on. And so it would feel much more stressful because you didn't really understand what was going to happen next and what you should bring forward to be able to deal with that. Now I've seen many of these situations play out for better or for worse. So I kind of understand, well, what are the best things? things that could happen? What actions do we need to put together to kind of spark those things? What are the worst things that could happen? And what's the fallout going to be from that if the worst does happen? And what I've come to realize is that there are specific triggers that you can always pull to try to drive a better track. But even if all else fails, it's not the end of the world. It's business. And I think it's healthy to have that perspective on it. We work in an industry that's fast-paced and stressful, and I think it's just important. I always play it out to what's the worst thing that could happen and then think about, well, actually, if that's the worst thing, it's not really that bad. There's one experience that comes to mind that I wish I had more context in my career, and it was the last startup that I worked at. When I left the startup, it felt so personal. And you know, in reality, I wasn't the right fit, and the company sort of matured and needed a different leader and a different voice in the marketing department. And it didn't mean that the value that I created in the organization while I was there was for not. It just meant that I was no longer the right fit for that company. And I think that the realization for marketers, mostly as you get into the executive ranks, the average lifespan of a CMO is like 18 months. So if you're in this industry and you're working in these high-profile jobs, let's say you're at a startup, there's a lot of transition that happens in a short period of time. And then if you're at the opposite end and you're an executive, those roles are so high pressure that the CMOs are turned over every year or two. I think that building out the ability to not take it personally and understanding that that is just the nature of our job is a skill that we should all try to develop. And it's clearly something that you've done. Talk to me a little bit about your current role. You're the CMO at Sitecore. What are some of the challenges that you're facing in this organization? And tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today. Yeah, I've been at Sitecore for about eight months now, and it couldn't have been the more perfect job for me at both the time of development that Sitecore is at and just with everything that I've brought forward from my career. I've been in the space of selling marketing technology into the marketing department at now this is my, I think, third or fourth company doing that. So to the extent that you could say there's a pattern or a preference to the industries that I've been in, this probably is the one that's emerging at the top. I've got a lot of expertise selling this kind of technology. And Sitecore is a company that has been a leader in the web content and digital experience space for the last nine years. We've been at the top of the Gartner Magic Quadrant. We've come through a period where we had a genius founder, Michael Seifert, who practically invented the web content management space. And he decided to step aside a couple of years ago and transition the company to faster growth. 
So there's a lot of change that comes with that when you have a really strong, brilliant founder who takes the company to a very successful level and then decides to step aside from the business. So we've had a, a, a new CEO come in, Mark Frost, who's been here for about two years. And he's leading a really exciting growth and change and drive across the company as we look to expand our markets. And we're in a mission-critical space. So it couldn't be a better time to be at a company like Sitecore where the CMO is really paying attention to what technology do I need to build out my customer experience. So tell me a little bit about the playbook that you're applying. You're selling marketing services to other marketers. What's the strategy? What's the playbook look like? From a marketing perspective, Sitecore has been very successful developing an IT audience. We've got a very passionate developer community. I think we're very well known in the IT space amongst those who make decisions about web technologies and software But we haven't traditionally gone into the marketing department, which is kind of my forte. And the buying decisions have changed. And as things like customer experience have come to the forefront of every organization's business strategy, it's increasingly the CMO in conjunction often with the CIO who's driving these projects and these buying decisions around tech stacks for digital experience. So one of my top priorities for Sitecore is to really expand our awareness and our messaging to really talk to the marketing audience and get traction with that group to kind of dovetail with the passion and the traction that we've gotten on the IT side. So it's a little bit of a different of a messaging approach. It's thinking about things like how do we really build out thought leadership? How do we build out messaging that's going to be attractive to the CMO? How do we have that conversation with different parts of the organization that we might not have thought about before? And how do we elevate Sitecore's brand to be considered alongside what many probably think of as a pretty formidable competitor, which is Adobe, who is doing a master job at those kinds of conversations. So here's the thing that sticks out to me about your career. You started off in the educational field and you moved into communication. So you built into everything that you've done is the idea of building the message and the storytelling. And you've moved to a large organization during a key time in its growth at Oracle. And then you've gone to a series of other companies as a marketing executive and gained all these rich experience across multiple industries and setting multiple strategies for companies that are in different stages. And this is Women in MarTech Week. So I'm curious to hear some of the personal challenges that you've faced, and if any, how did gender play a role? You're a female executive in marketing in technology, which does not have a lot of role models for women. So tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you've faced along the way in your career development and that shaped and helped form you as a marketing executive. I've been very lucky, although I have had my challenges. And I think back to early in my career when I wasn't necessarily consciously thinking about being a woman in tech and didn't so much notice that there weren't a lot of other women around. But When I look back, I realized that I was looking for role models. I was always very ambitious and I wanted to take on more responsibility and have bigger roles. So I would always look around organizations for, you know, who should I be emulating? What leadership style should I be going for here? And there were very few women to look at and emulate. 
so I think the impact that that had on women of my generation, and I've talked to many other women who are my age who feel a similar way, is that I think I probably adopted initially a much more masculine leadership style than I have today because I didn't really see any other way forward. And often I'd be the only woman on the management team. I certainly felt that in a big way in my first couple of jobs as a CMO when I was younger and I was on management teams where there was an older male demographic. It was very difficult to be assertive and kind of find footing in those environments. And I felt there was no option other than to do it in a very masculine way. So you start to think that's not really authentic and it doesn't represent who I want to be as the leader. And I think I'm pretty different today. Now that I'm in the seat, I think you've got the opportunity to do it a little differently than you do when you're on the way up. So when you say that you've implemented a masculine leadership style and you've developed it to be more authentic over time, what do you mean by masculine leadership style? Well, I just remember many times sitting in executive team meetings and being the only female in the room thinking, all right, if I want to get a word in here, I'm going to have to very aggressively cut somebody off and cut in and be very sharp to make my point. And it's not necessarily the style that I use today. And I also, when I would think about interacting with peers, especially in environments where unfortunately there were politics, I would find myself adopting a much more aggressive tone or style than I would ever do today. And those are just two examples of just really feeling like you had to be very forceful to get your point across. Otherwise, you'd risk no one ever noticing that you were there or had anything to say. And it can be very uncomfortable for women. I sit on a lot of women in tech panels and the number one question I get from young women is, how do I speak up in a meeting and still be my authentic self, but not be interrupted or cut off or have my voice heard? Because it's very difficult to feel like you're doing that in a female way in a very male dominated environment. So what's the trick? What's the answer to that question? (laughs) Well, I unfortunately don't think I have a good one because the way that I got to where I am was I adopted a male style. I did it the way that I saw the men doing it. I don't have to do that today. It's interesting. I feel like being aggressive and call that a masculine leadership style. It sounds like that was really more of a necessity to, you know, build credibility earlier in your career. And now that you have so much experience and so much credibility and so much under your belt, you don't have to necessarily hit people with the hammer. You can use the velvet glove a little bit more. And that's just something that you've developed with reputation and experience over time. But to say that in the early 2000s that you didn't need to be aggressive, that's kind of the reality of the situation. For women that are earlier in their careers, as they're developing and finding their authentic tone, what advice do you have them for figuring out the balance of using your elbows to get in front of the line and make sure that your voice is heard and then being appropriate and using the right tone and not being overly harsh or overly aggressive? I really hope that it's changed a little bit today. I'm on panels with a lot of young women and I do hear from them that they sometimes do feel like it's possible to be more authentic and think about how they want their leadership style to be. These are just things that I didn't think about when I was in my 30s. I didn't spend time thinking about what do I want my leadership style to be? I spend a lot of time thinking about that today. And I think that women are thinking about that at much earlier stages of their career. 
But I also think that you have to speak up and you have to ask for what you want and you have to make your desires and your ambitions known. There are so many studies that say that women don't put themselves forward for that promotion or that job or that assignment because they feel like they're not qualified, even when they are very qualified versus men have a much higher percentage of likelihood to speak up and put themselves forward and make it known that they want that promotion, even when sometimes they're less qualified. So I think that women do themselves a disservice by waiting to be noticed and thinking, oh, if I just work hard and if I just keep my head down and if I get this project done, then my manager will notice and I'll get what I deserve. You have to ask for it at every stage of your career. I'm still asking for it. My wife works in retail. She's not a marketer, but we had this conversation last week. She's building a relationship with the executives on her team. And she said to me something to the extent of, you don't get the responsibility you don't ask for. And I think that being a man, that just felt obvious and intuitive to me, but it isn't for a lot of women that are learning how to find their voice in the organization, that you do have to ask for the things that you want. So I think calling that out is specifically relevant. I guess the last question I have for you is, are there other pieces of advice as you look back on your career, the experiences you've had, multiple companies, being an executive, multiple different types of startups, what is the advice that you have for the younger generation of women today that you think is the most applicable for the people that are relatively early on their career and want to be marketing execs? What's the most important thing that they need to know? I think that you should think about where you see yourself. I've had many young people tell me that they want to be a CMO someday. So what I will often advise them to do is think about how you get experience in several different aspects of marketing. In my case, I went from the communication side to the product marketing side, and that gave me a really strong combination to build on to be able to go in and have head of marketing roles. Don't be afraid to change into a different part of marketing or try to get experience or training in that area and also make your ambition known. When I know that someone on my team aspires to be a CMO someday, I find myself thinking about the assignments I give them or the exposure that I give them a little bit differently than if I didn't know that about them. So I think that you've got to articulate your desire and then think about the experience that's most likely to get you there. And don't be afraid to change it up a little bit. Make your ambition known, I think, is incredibly valuable advice. So, Paige, thank you for sharing your experiences. Thank you for being part of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Paige O'Neill, the CMO of Sitecore, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Paige, you can find the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send her a tweet. Her handle is Paige underscore O'Neill, P-A-I-G-E underscore O-N-E-I-L-L. Or you can visit her company's website, which is Sitecore.com, S-I-T-E-C-O-R-E.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we've created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up for the rest of Women in MarTech Week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning.
Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.